We're in a series this Christmas season called A Season of Hope. And I'm really excited what's going on in our church and the lives of people in our church because if we can be a church where people find hope, I believe it can radically and drastically change their life. And you need to understand, I don't just preach these messages um, that I bring in these series for you and then forget about them. I, I try to live what I'm learning and I try to live what I'm teaching. So this, this has been a season of hope for me because I've been preparing for months to bring you the truth of God's word. And it's hard to preach without believing it. So God's been doing some things in my life where, where I am trying to begin to live in hope more. This Tuesday, I was bringing my, uh, my son to school, I guess last Tuesday, and he had three tests that he had to take before he had to, to break for Thanksgiving break. He had two and then one makeup deal he was going to take. And normally on the way to school, if he's got a test, you know, I'm quizzing him, I'm talking to him, I'm, you know, I'm telling him, pay attention. Um, and I just thought, you know, I, I, w- I was just kind of filled with hope because I've been working on this. And I was like, listen, all the way to school, I was giving him a pep talk. You're going to do awesome. You've studied hard. You're smart. God's given you a good mind. What you study, you're going to remember. These are going to be the best tests you've ever taken. You're going to get good grades. You might have straight A's this semester. And I was just trying to fill him with hope. And he was like, okay, okay. Like, I get it. And I was like, no, you don't get it. I was like, man, God's like, God's doing something in our family. I'm going to start living in hope. And like, I'm going to be a dad of hope, which means you're going to be a son of hope, which means like all your friends will be friends of hope. Kind of sounds like a telethon, but you know, it's cool at the moment um, in the midst of the pep talk. And he, you know, he was just like, okay, this is weird. But you know, I, I was like into the moment. So as I'm dropping him off for school, I pray for him every day before he gets out of the car. Just pray God will keep him safe and help him have a good day and help him to be a good testimony and a good witness for who our church is and who Jesus is and who our family is. Um, and as he got ready to leave, I was like, you know, have, have a great day, son of hope. And he looked at me and he was just like, stop it. That's all he said, just stop it. And I was like, okay, but I, I can have hope. So I go home, I'm taking Danielle to, to breakfast and I'm telling Danielle this story and she, you know, she was just kind of like, you know, you don't have to take it that far. And I was like, listen, things are changing. You don't understand. I, I'm going to be a dad of hope. Our kids are going to be kids. Of, we're going to have a family. Of, I'm going to be a husband of hope, which means you're going to be a wife of hope. You're going to be a mother of hope. And she's like, you just need to calm down. I said, no, you don't understand, man. Things are changing. I might even get a dog and name our dog Hope so that every day we can be like, who's going to let hope in? And, and we can end her hope into our house. And we can say, who's going to feed hope today? Because hope's got to stay alive. And, and I'm, I'm going to get a dog. We're called dog hope so we're going to talk about hope every day and danielle was feeling a little salty tuesday morning she doesn't always but she did this day and she looked over at me and said what if hope runs away and gets lost (laughs) i looked at her and said why would you say that like why would you say that on this day why would you talk about hope getting lost on this day like i'm trying to i'm trying to i'm trying to have hope she's like what if hope runs in the road and hope dies and I thought, you know, that's just the most terrible thing anyone could say. Like, I'm trying to have a good day, trying to have hope. And you're talking about hope being lost. You're talking about hope dying. And I began to get sad about this dog that I don't even have yet named Hope. And I thought, I could never name a dog Hope. Because if Hope got lost or if Hope died, who knows metaphorically how I would... That, that would be a bad omen for our family, for our church, for maybe the United States of America. Like, I, I couldn't have Hope literally die on me. So I thought, okay, we won't name a dog that... But I'm excited about this season of hope for this reason. Um, Most of you, maybe none of you, have a dog named Hope. But some of you spiritually have lost hope. And some of you spiritually have had hope die. I don't know what has happened. I don't know when it has happened. But you walked into this church this morning and you've been living in a season of your life where there just isn't much hope for what's next, what's beyond the now. In this series, this Christmas season, 
is for everyone who's looking how to find hope, for everyone who's looking how to keep hope alive, for everyone who's looking to maybe revive a hope that has died, this series is for you and for your friends who need hope. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 19 or dial it up on your phone or however you follow along because we find maybe the greatest chapter in the Bible for learning how to regain hope. If you walked in this morning without hope, you're in the right place because I'm going to show you from a conversation that God had with a man named Elijah, I'm going to show you how to regain hope if you've lost hope. If you don't have a Bible, our ushers are going to be in the aisles. They've got Bibles that you can use today. They've actually got Bibles you can have. So just wave at them or make eye contact. If you don't have a Bible, keep this one. Just put your name in it and keep it. We've given away more than a 1,000 Bibles since our church started. But as we get into 1 Kings, let me give you just kind of a, a quick update on what 1 Kings chapter 19 is about. You all know David who killed, who killed Goliath. Most of you do. After David killed Goliath, he would go on to become the king of Israel for 40 years. Then his son Solomon would become the king of Israel for another 40 years. And then there would be civil war in Israel, and the country was divided in two. The northern half was called Israel. The southern half was called Judah. And Israel was kind of run by just the strongest military leader of its day. Literally, there was no dynasty. There was no family Whoever was strong just took the power. And there was a military commander named Omri. He was one of the strongest military commander, uh, commanders that Israel ever had. And he just killed everyone and set himself up as king. And then his son Ahab became king after him. One of the strongest military men in the history of Israeli military. Um, one of the strongest in producing a good economy um, for Israel. Ahab became king over Israel. And Ahab decided as the king of Israel that he was not going to worship the God of Israel, but, he, but that he was going to worship a God named Baal. Now, Baal is spelled B-A-A-L-L, and Baal was the God of the storms or the God of the harvest. If you've ever been to Israel, the northern half of Israel, the number two way in Israel that they make their money, their economy is based first on tourism, second on agriculture still today. The way Israel made its money was by growing crops that they would sell to other countries. So Ahab said, if we want a strong economy... If we want a strong country, we've got to have strong agriculture. We're going to worship this God who brings rain, who brings storms, who does these things so that we can have a strong country and, and so that we can have a strong economy. And God said, no, that's not going to work because Baal does not control the weather. I do. So God called a prophet. His name was Elijah. And he said, you go tell Ahab that Baal is not the God that makes it rain. Baal is not the God that blesses Israel with good crops. I'm the God who does that. So tell Ahab until he worships me, it's not going to rain at all. I'm going to show him who controls the rain. So for three and a half years, there was no rain. And the economy tanked. And the land experienced famine. And everyone nearly died. And after three and a half years, it said God looked down. He saw the plight of the people of Israel. And he told Elijah, okay, we're, we're, going, to, we're going to figure this out. Go find Ahab. Tell him we're going to meet. We're going to talk about which God's really God because I, I need to take care of my people Israel again. So Elijah told Ahab, meet me on Carmel and you can bring all the pastors who serve and teach about Baal. So 950 prophets of Baal showed up. Elijah was the only prophet of the God of Israel. He's all by himself. They had this massive competition on Mount Carmel to see which God was really God, which God would answer literally by a bolt of lightning because Baal was the storm God. That's kind of what he did, thunder, lightning, rain. So Elijah said, let's see which God really has the ability for lightning and rain. And God answered from heaven, bolt of lightning. Um, and then God answered with rain. And Ahab thought things would get better. It had been a difficult three and a half years. But finally, God had moved, and he thought everything's going to be better now. And the exact opposite happened. And what happened when this happened is that Elijah just lost all hope. He said, I've been living three and a half years for this moment for God to show up. And God showed up, and still nobody believes. And he lost all hope. 
And in 1 Kings chapter 19, we read the story of God speaking hope back into his life and for God giving him a plan to go regain hope after he lost everything. Here's what 1 Kings chapter 19 says, starting in verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel, that was his wife, everything Elijah had done and how he killed all the prophets with the sword. So the 950 prophets of Baal, when God proved that he was really God, they used capital punishment on all of them, they killed all of them. Verse 2, so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I don't make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servants there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, he sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And he lay down under the bush, and he fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals in a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then he laid down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey's too much for you. So he got up, and he ate, and he drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave, and he spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and a powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord wasn't in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, and he went out and he stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They torn down your altars. They put your prophets to the death with a sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king of Aram, that's modern-day Syria, also anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, the son of Shaphat, from Abel-Mahola to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu, and yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. Now, you may have not caught it the first time around, but that's okay, because I'm going to show you. God, in this text of Scripture that we just read, just gave all of us the most simple plan to regain hope that can be found anywhere in Scripture. But before we get to regaining hope, let's look at losing hope. Because for Elijah and for many people in the room today, hope lost is often an event, not an emotion. It's often something that happens in your life, not just how you feel about what happens. And when you look at Elijah, Elijah had been through a very difficult season. Elijah had been through a season of stress, obviously. They're trying to kill people like him. And for three and a half years, he felt like maybe he was the curse of the nation because of the prophecy that he had given. He was living in a season of conflict. He wasn't getting along with the people who were close to him. He didn't have a whole lot of friends. He, he, when, he, when he was shopping in the grocery store, he kind of looked down anytime he made eye contact at anyone because he just seemed to be in conflict with everyone in his life. He lived in, under tremendous what I would call financial stress and anxiety. He wouldn't have called it that. But as we read through the story of Elisha, it said every day he watched his water reserve get a little bit less. Every 
every day he had to wonder if God was going to send him food to eat. He went to bed every night not knowing for sure whether he was going to eat and drink the next day. We, we would consider that extreme financial stress today. And all this came to a head on a mountain in Carmel in something that Elijah had placed his hope in. And here's what I think had happened. Elijah kind of had this grand idea that, you know, God, all of this is going wrong, but if this one thing happens, it will all be all right. God, if Ahab would just really realize you were God, everything would be okay. God, if all the prophets of Baal realized that you were really God, everything would be okay. God, if I showed up and pronounced that it's going to start raining again so the farmers can start growing their crops again, so the economy can be strong again, everything will be okay. And when that happened, and nothing was okay, when he didn't become a national hero, but he became a national villain, he thought, Lord, I got nothing and he lost all hope. Proverbs 13, 12 says this. We looked at it last week. Hope deferred. Hope that doesn't show up makes the heart sick. Elijah, I think, believed that if he could have this event, it would fix everything. And he had this event, and it fixed nothing. Hope wasn't anywhere to be found, and he kind of checked out. As a matter of fact, Scripture says he ran. It says, so Elijah ran. Let me ask you a question this morning. How long have you been running? For those of you who are losing hope, for those of you who have lost hope, for those of you who have had a piece of your soul just kind of torn away and left on the road. So how long have you been running from this event that has caused you to question God, caused you to question the people of God, caused you to question the plan of God, caused you to question the goodness of God? How how long have you been running? Because scripture says Elijah ran 90 miles to, to Beersheba. That was just his first stop. And then he ran another 220 miles to Mount Sinai. 310 miles if he ran straight from the top of Mount Carmel, straight to the top of Mount Sinai. If you took roads that led beside water so you could stay alive, it'd be more than 500 miles. They've got a map so you can see just a little bit of where this was. If you see kind of in the top center there, the word tire, right between the words tire, that's modern-day Lebanon and door, that would have been where Mount Carmel was. So Elijah gets so freaked out, he goes from way north of the Sea of Galilee, which is kind of underneath the word Megiddo. He runs all the way to Beersheba, which is at the tail end of the Dead Sea. He rests there for two days, and then he runs to the bottom of the Sinai Peninsula to Mount Sinai, and he stays there. More than 500 miles if he took a route that would keep him alive, which most likely he did. As a matter of fact, the Bible says Elijah ran almost every day for two straight months. He just ran. Every day at least for 40 days, and the 90 miles to get to Beersheba, probably another couple weeks. Elijah, every day for two months, he just ran away. He just ran away from something that had hurt him. He just ran away from something that had disappointed him. He just ran away from an event that didn't do in his soul what he needed it to do. He just ran. And some of you are still running from something that has happened in your life. You're running from hope because you've been so disappointed in something in life. You know, we look at Elijah running 500 miles over the course of two months. And here's the sad thing about that. A lot of us look at that and say, wow, that's a lot of running. You know what? That's just a warm-up lap for some of us compared to how long we've been running. I mean, two months, that's not bad. I've been running two years. Two months, that's not bad. I've been running two decades. What are you running from, and how long have you been running? I started this series telling you my passion for this series because in 2006, I really believe I laid down my hope and I started running. Just went through some difficult times in difficult relationships, 
And I got really disappointed in what I had hoped God's plan was going to be for me and where God's plan was for me. And I just started running. I just, I just lost belief that, that God was going to be real good in my life and in my future. And I had resigned myself to have faith and to have love. Like I told you last week, the three pillars of 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Three things remain, faith, hope, and love. I had faith, I had love. Just didn't have much hope anymore, sadly. And as I ran away for three years, really from 2006 to 2009, I just ran. Just as far as I could, I just wanted out of that environment so that I could be someplace different. And even as I got away from it and began to slow down, for the next four years, from 2009 to 2013, I, I didn't sprint, but I was still jogging away from what I believed was a good God with a good future for my life. And really only in the last two years, from 2013 to 2015, have I slowed to a walk, but I hadn't until a few weeks ago really even turned around to start heading back the long journey in the other direction because I was just convinced because of the event that hurt me that it could never be as good as it once was or as good as I wanted it to be. And Elijah ran. He ran as far as he could in the opposite direction. If you remember the map, he ran literally almost out of room, he'd have had to jump into the ocean to run any further. He was running from an event, but he was also running from a person. You know, sometimes hope lost is a person in our life. Sometimes it's a relationship that's gone bad, and it takes our hope with it. Sometimes it's a parent or maybe a child that tragically um, leaves planet Earth, and and, and we bury with a mom or a dad or a son or a daughter or a grandparent or a close friend or a spouse, we bury our hope with them. Sometimes hope lost is a person. So maybe the question we need to ask is not what are you running from, but who are you running from? What has stripped your hope away and keeps you running in the opposite direction of hope? What relationship that went desperately wrong convinces you not to have hope in any relationship that you enter for the rest of your life? What employer... What boss hurt you so badly or treated you so badly or manipulated you in such a way that you will never have hope in another person you work for for the rest of your life? Or what employee, if you're maybe a business owner, just did you so wrong that you now will never have hope towards anyone who works for you for the rest of your life? What family member caused such heartache and tension for your family that Thanksgiving and Christmas times are not seasons of hope for you, but they're seasons of anxiety? Which ex-spouse did so much damage to your soul that you can't carry hope into any future relationship that you ever enter because hope died with that person? What family on your kid's sports team has made your life difficult enough that you show up late for games and you sit on the other side if they're there? You see, people can steal your hope. A relationship that is soured can convince you to never trust in another relationship with a person with a boss, with a coworker, with an employer, with a church, again. But that's not how God wants us to view hope. Elijah was actually running from an event and a person, an event that had gone wrong and hadn't lived up to expectations, and Jezebel who wanted to kill him, Elijah had completely lost hope. And we see this in his conversation with God. Because Elijah got where all of us would like to get, honestly. If we could be real honest... If I were to ask you this question, if you could have one real back and forth conversation with God, if he would show up and talk back to you, 
And you could ask him your questions. And you could give your scenario to him. Like, would one conversation with God be enough for you to fix your perspective? Most of us would say, yes. If I could have one conversation with God, I would take that. What did Elijah ask in his one conversation with God? God twice asked Elijah, why are you here? What do you need? And Elijah's only response to the God of the universe, who could give him anything, was, I just want you to kill me. That's it. He had lost hope to the point where even talking to the God of the universe, his only request is that he would kill him. And here's the very sad fact of this conversation Elijah had and the conversations you and I have with God. Your state of mind shows the size of your God. Your state of mind shows the size of your God. In the, the state of hope that you have shows the size of your God. Because Elijah was saying, God, I understand I'm talking to you and you're the God of the universe and all that stuff, but God, you are not bigger than this event that happened. And I don't ever think you can change that. God, I know that you're the God of the universe and you created everything and you control everything, but God, you're not as big as Jezebel. And in Elijah's state of mind showed that his problems were much larger than his God because he did not ask his God to fix his problems. He just explained his problems to God, hoping that God would agree with him and kill him. And some of you are in here today, and just by your state of mind, you're proving that your God in your heart is very, very small. Because your God is not bigger than the event that stole your hope. Your God is not bigger than the person who stole your hope, who stole your joy. Your God is not able to put back together what someone else has broken. So your state of mind shows the size of your God. And Elijah went to God, a very broken man, worshiping a very, very small God. But God said, listen, we're going to fix this. Because even though your faith isn't big, I am. And we're going to fix this. And what happened, number two, is that God restored Elijah's hope. But hope was found for Elijah in a direction and in a group of people. God said, I can restore hope to you. But you're going to have to live your life in a different direction. And you're going to have to live your life with a group of people. I want you in 1 Kings 19 to look at verses 11 through 18 again because here we find the secret to regain hope. In verse 11, the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord. The Lord wasn't in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. The Lord wasn't in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire. The Lord wasn't in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face. He went out and he stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They've put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're going to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back. You need to underline and circle those two words, go back. Go back. Stop running away. Change the direction of your life. Go back. The way you came and go to the desert of Damascus, when you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram, also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, anoint Elisha, the son of Shaphat, from Abel Mahola to succeed you as prophet. Jehu's going to put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazel. These were all the people who wanted to kill Elijah. God was basically saying, I got your back. These people who are seeking to kill you, they're going to be killed. Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. And I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. You know, it's interesting. Elijah came to God and said, I just want to die. And God said, no, we're not going to do that but you're going to have to change the direction you're running. You're going to have to go back. 
And God said, I'm going to tell you the direction to go, but along this way, you're going to find some signpost of the direction that I need you to go. And as you pass through these towns spiritually, you'll know you're on the right path to healing and you'll know you're on the right path to hope. So I said, here's the direction that you need to go. And in the direction of chasing hope, God gave Elijah some extreme insight for how to regain hope. And what did he say? Number one, God said, you've got to get in the presence of the Lord. If you want hope, you have to get in the presence of the Lord. Verse 11, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time your heart has felt like it's in the presence of the Lord? When is the last time you think, man, I just feel like I met with God. You know, I pray every Sunday before I come to church. I've preached probably now 200 times at our church since we started a little, a little over four years ago. And I've not come to church without praying on my knees in my office, in my house. And every Sunday I ask God, God, to help people not to feel like they've been to church, but help people to feel like they've met with God. I, I want people to feel like they meet with God when they come to Journey Church International on Sunday morning. Not that they hear a sermon, not that they hear their favorite worship song, but that literally they spend time in the presence of God. When is the last time you've spent time in the presence of God? Because God said, Elijah, if you want to find hope, you've got to learn to get around my presence. Now, the Bible promises where two or three people are gathered in God's name that he's with them. So we're in the presence of God today because I know there's at least three of us who are here today for God. The Bible also says that God inhabits the praises of his people, which means when this place worships, God comes down and his presence is here. So I know God's presence is here because I know there's some of us who are here for God and I know there's some of us here worshiping God and the Bible promises he's in those environments. So I know that the presence of God is here. But how about in your outside life? How much time do you spend in the presence of God in your own car? How much time do you spend in the presence of God in your own bedroom or with your own Bible or in your office or in your study or in your living room? How much time do you spend in the presence of God with Christian friends, two or three of you discussing the things of God and just praising God together? You know, you control, believe it or not, the amount of time you spend in the presence of God, not God. And he told Elijah, you want to find hope? Go stand in my presence. You know, next Sunday, Clayton King is going to be here, and it's going to be an incredible Sunday. One, because Clayton is one of the greatest speakers on planet Earth. Um, I promise you next week, if you'll come, if you've never heard Clayton, you'll laugh because he's funny. Um, you'll cry because I, I know what he's preaching on, and it's a difficult subject for him. Um, and I promise you that you'll be in the presence of God. I just promise you that you will. Now, Clayton is a redneck. Um, you know, and, and he'll come off as, you know, kind of a country bumpkin. But at the end of the day, that man like brings with him his own dose of the presence of God. Like there's just, there, there's like an extra backpack full of the presence of God that he carries with him when he preaches. It's going to be unbelievable. And some of the people in your life who need hope, you know what they need? They need to be in church next Sunday. They need to get in the presence of God because the first step back towards hope is getting in the presence of God. It's why we're so passionate about this Sunday that we've made actual little invite cards for you to give to people. And you don't have to invite them to church. You don't have to share your testimony. You don't have to tell them about Jesus and have them convert to be a Christian. All you have to say is, hey man, I'm excited about Christmas. Um, if you've been looking for hope, come to church Sunday. It's going to be awesome. This guy's speaking. And then leave it at that. That's it. All you've got to do is hand him a card and then pray that God sends him here. Because I believe next week the presence of God will be here and people in our community who are attached to your life that need hope might find that hope right here if we will invite them. God told Elijah, get in the presence of the Lord. Secondly, God told Elijah, what sometimes we do the very opposite of. He says, start ministering to somebody. You want to find hope? Start pouring into somebody else's life. 
In verse 16, God said this, Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, Elisha, the son of Shaphat from Abel-Mahola, to succeed you as prophet. God basically said this, I want you to get an apprentice. I want you to start mentoring someone. You want hope in your life, start pouring some of your life into somebody else, and you're going to see hope in a different light. You know, it's funny how many Christians begin their day and their spiritual mentality like the evil queen in Snow White. You remember what the evil queen in Snow White went to the first thing every morning and the last thing every day? The mirror. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Most Christians base their entire spiritual journey on their face in the mirror and what's going on in their lives. And you know what? You have to have a big mirror to constantly live in hope. Like one of those 300, to live without hope. One of those 360 degree mirrors. Because all you do is focus on yourself, what's going on in your life, how God has let you sew down. God says if you can see beyond the mirror, you're going to see someone who probably needs more hope than you. And you might not have much. But if you can lean into them a little bit, if you will focus on others and study yourself all the time, you're not only going to start giving hope, you're going to start having hope hope. It's interesting because we live in a spiritual world that says the exact thing. Like when I'm, when I'm feeling hopeless, when I'm feeling tired, I just need to pull back and wait on someone to come minister to me. Like Elijah probably did not hear that he should, needed to start serving. He told God, I want to kill myself. God's like, okay, I understand that, but here's what you need to do. You need to mentor someone. Now, when someone comes to our church and says, you know, I think I want to take my own life, we don't ask them to mentor anyone because then there'd be like a whole group of people headed in the wrong d- direction spiritually. But God looked at Elijah and he said, no, you don't need to do that. To find hope, you just need to find someone to give your life to. Because when you start pouring into somebody else, and then he said there's going to be a big pack of somebody else, he said you actually find hope in ministering to other people. You find hope by helping other people find hope. And for the rest of his life, if you read the story of Elijah in Scripture, for the rest of his life, every day, all he would do was pour into other people and give them hope. And then God told Elijah, number three, there's a group of people just like you, engage with them. This was probably the most powerful statement of the whole deal because Elijah three times said, I'm all alone, I'm all alone, I'm all alone. Nobody loves God as much as I do. Nobody's going through what I'm going through. Nobody's running from Ahab like me. No one's running from Jezebel like me. I'm all alone, I'm all alone, I'm all alone. And God said in verse 18, no, you're not. He said, I've got 7,000 people in Israel just like you. They're going through the same thing as you are. They love God the same way as you do. They're struggling with the same things you are. Elijah, actually, I've got 7,000 people just like you. And I don't want you to just go get to know them. I want you to lead them. Because when Elijah engaged with a group of people who were trying to find hope the same way that he was trying to find hope, guess what? They found hope together by having each other. And you know the the reality of our church? The best thing that our church can do to offer you hope is not preach a message to you, is not put together worship for you or have our production team put together videos that make you feel good. The best thing that our church can do, the most valuable spiritual thing that our church can do for you to help you find hope is to connect you to a group of people trying to find the same hope that you're looking for because when you find the people of God, you find the hope of God. That was the secret sauce to the recipe that God was giving Elijah. I'm going to give you some ministry to do. I'm going to get you around the presence of the Lord so you can feel me in your life. But Elijah, the thing that's going to really solidify this is you connecting with people like you so that living together in spiritual community, you can have hope. 
So we have small groups at our church designed to do this very thing. I think we've got the greatest small groups pastor on planet earth. His name is Ryan Holt. He loves people and all he wants to do is try to get them in groups because he knows that when you find the people of God, you find the hope of God. And we have, I believe, for seeking the presence of God, the best content curriculum we've ever put together for groups in our four years at Journey. The the fourth week of January, we will take hundreds of adults at our church through this curriculum called 40 Days in the Word that all this does is teach you to find the presence of God on a daily basis through a verse in Scripture. It teaches you how to read your Bible and journal and think in such a way that every day you can find the presence of God to dwell in. All of our staff and all of our small group leaders are starting this 40-day journey tomorrow so that by the time our church starts it, we will have 50 people who have been through it that can share our experiences of how we learn to find the presence of God on a daily basis. It's going to be phenomenal, but the presence of God without the people of God are not enough. So we need to get our church engaged in group life. You know, very often a season of hope begins with a season of community, a group of people who are living together in the same direction. So inside your bulletin, you've got this little card right here that says small groups. And you heard me tell you, the most valuable spiritual thing we can do for you is not just give you truth, but give you opportunity to connect with other people in our church. So I want you all to grab this card right here, right now. Because I'm going to ask today, before you leave, if you are not in a small group of Christian community that's living together, seeking hope together, if you don't have hope, I can help you find hope by helping you find a group of people to live life with. That's the way it works according to 1 Kings chapter 19. And I believe if you find the people of God, you'll find the hope of God. Now, everyone in here who's in a small group right now is thinking, preach it, Christian, because you know it's true. And everyone who's not in a small group is thinking, move to the next point, Christian, because there's a reason probably you're not in a small group yet, and like you don't want to hear this. But the most valuable spiritual thing I can do is motivate you and direct you to join a group of people to live life with. So if you're not in a group before the end of the service, I'm going to ask you to just put your name on this. This does not say I'm joining a group. This is saying... I need help. I want to live my life according to the plan of God. So call me. They don't even begin until the last week of January. So you get two months to change your mind or to figure out a good reason to talk us out of putting you in a group. But I'm going to ask you today, if you're not in a group, write your name down. When you leave, put it in one of the boxes by the doors and just say, God, I trust you. I need help. If this is your plan, I'll try it. Not that I'll do it, but God, if this is your plan, I'll try it because Elijah heard and you need to know there's a group of people just like you. Engage with them and find hope because number three, when you find hope, hope regained is a beautiful sight. Do you know that Elijah not only ministered to and mentored Elijah Elisha for the rest of his life, but he raised up an entire school of the prophets, that's what they were called in the rest of the Old Testament, that would change the nation. This was in a, nation, a nation that had forgot God to the point that they said, let's change God's because we think this one will help our economy be better. I mean, can you imagine a nation officially changing their God because they thought it would help their economy? Don't think too deeply into that. I'm not trying to make a political statement. Um, but the nation of Israel. So let's just change God's because we think it'll, it'll be better for our country. This was a country that the, the major prophet of God thought he was the only Christian on planet Earth. And God said, no, there's a lot of you, actually. It's actually a young kid named Elisha that if you'd start mentoring him, he, he's going to do more than you do someday. And he did. But God said, there's 7,000 people who just need someone to gather them together and to teach them. Elijah, on the last day of his life, we're told that he was going to take a journey because God told him he was going to be taken up to heaven. And you know what he did? He went to three different towns. Why? 
to stop by the three different schools of the prophets in those towns to say goodbye to his kids. If you were a coach coaching your last game, you'd get your team together. If you were a teacher teaching your last class, you'd, you'd get your class together. If you were a pastor transitioning from a church, you'd get your church together. And Elijah said, God's taken me home. And he called ahead to every town. And at every town, he stopped at the schools of the prophets. Who were those guys? These 7,000 people hiding, scared, detached. And he said, guys, let's get together and live spiritually together and change the nation together. And the nation, just a few years later, would experience a massive revival. And I have to believe it was because of these 7,000 people that Elijah led, that he loved, that he lived life with, that he taught the unique things about the Word of God. And very slowly, they began to change communities, they began to change towns, and they began to change their country. These steps of hope work. I know that because I've lived them the last nine years. What's funny is I, I didn't live them intentionally. I wasn't trying to follow this formula. I really didn't know that it existed. I'd not studied the Bible through the lens of hope until just in the last year. But I look back at my journey. I told you in 2006, I was wounded deeply by an event that just stole, it stole my hope and it sent me running in the opposite direction. But at that exact same time that my hope was dying, I realized that the direction of my life had to change. And I I went to a man who was a mentor in my life at that time and I said, i My life is not working the way it is. I can't get out of credit card debt. I feel like I'm always chasing stuff. I feel like I'm supposed to do something different in life, but I could never lose this job. And I just feel like I'm headed in the wrong direction. And over the course of the year, this older, wiser businessman just kind of mentored Danielle, and I met with us probably a dozen times and just helped us change the way we lived our life. We changed our direction. I wasn't trying to, but I look back now, and I thought I did the, the first step. And then in 2009, three years later, I'm sitting in the basement of a church in South Korea and God calls me to to start a church. God calls me in the midst of my brokenness to minister to other people in a brand new way. And what was funny, I felt like I needed God to minister to me so much, but God said, your answer is actually going to be found in ministering to others the way you've been shaped to do that. So I, I started pursuing ministry to others. And then in the fall of 2010, I found my group of people. It wasn't 7,000. It was about five families who just God sent to to be close to Danielle and I to help us move when we moved our home and who eventually said, we want to help launch this church. And this group of people are still kind of my people today in in my life. They're they're who we hang out with. They're who we go watch games with. They're who we're texting on holidays, having fun. He gave me my group of people when I felt like I was all alone. God said, no, there's some people. You just need to find them and engage with them and begin to live life. And in 2015, five years after those steps, God finally kind of took the spiritual blinders off and said, you're almost to hope. You're almost there. So much so that I thought about buying a dog and naming it hope because I, I desperately want it. I want to think about hope every day. I, 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 I want to wake up thinking about hope. I want to go to bed thinking about hope. I want to have hope with my family as a leader. I want to have hope with my church as a leader. I want to have hope with my staff as their leader because I believe if I will have hope and that matriculates down, we can give the world hope through Jesus. So what are you running from? Who are you running from? Stop the race. Change the direction. Get in the presence of God. Figure out how to share your life with people and join with a group of people running the same race that you are and live life together. Let's pray.